I was just thinking about, I bet a lot of you have a job that before you get up, there's a piano that kind of plays you in, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, Greg, you do. I know that. So welcome to church this morning. Excited to be here with you. Uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We will be in 2 Corinthians. We are going to be in 2 Corinthians church for, for many weeks now, so keep reading it. Uh, we're going to be in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. So 1, 1 to 11. It's a lot of ones. Here we go. Our scripture reading today is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received a sentence of death. Uh, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I want you to think for a moment about what the narrative that's supposed to be true about your life. What's supposed to be true about you and your life at this point in your life? Maybe in your career, in your family, considering your age. What are you supposed to be right now? What are you supposed to have accomplished by now? What is life supposed to look like? Candidly for me, as a, a pastor of a, at a church like Lake Avenue in 2019 in Los Angeles County, according to many sources, both formally and anecdotally, the narrative of what my life should look like would be something like this. The church I work at should be growing and passionate. The church that I work at would be unified. Those from the outside would look at me and look at the church I work at and they would be incredibly impressed. There'd be no conflict in the church. Everyone is inspired, never offended, no confusion. People are generally happy all the time. There would be great teaching and preaching all the time, clear, compelling, challenging, but in a very good way, Greg, not too confrontational and that I personally would be doing it right. Speaking up at the right times, about the right things, 
addressing the right things in culture, the right things in politics consistently, and saying it so well that you all would be so proud of your pastor that you would quote me to your friends and to your family. The list would go on and on with these same kind of themes that define what success is supposed to look like and what faithfulness to Jesus and and being an effective ministry leader is supposed to look like. And as extreme as some of these examples are, they're at the core very true, if we're honest. They're very true, not just of our time, but they're, they're true for kind of all of time, as long as there's been a New Testament church. The ways that people think church leadership should be and effective ministry should be. And in many ways, this culture in Corinth is not all that different from what I just described. That if Paul was doing it right and the church was doing what it was supposed to do, that it would be anti-conflict, Paul wouldn't have any problems, the church would be growing, Because according to the narrative of what a pastor ought to be, we have to know this, that Paul was not. Paul would have had a very hard time getting hired at a local church. I have sat on so many search committees at Lake Avenue Church. I've hired so many people. I know the kinds of questions that I ask. I know the kinds of questions you ask. Questions like, hey, tell us about some churches you've been at. What's it been like? What's the result of your leadership? If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, the answer sounds something like, um, pretty divided, actually. I mean, they do okay when I'm there, but it seems like when I leave, nothing really resonates. And there's a lot of division in the church. They can't even figure out the sacraments in some of my churches. You would think after uh, some time with me as their pastor, they would really understand what truth is, but they're really prone to following false teachers and false doctrine. So my track record's interesting. Next question. Well, okay, maybe, maybe he's more of an itinerary preacher. Maybe on the road he has more success. Tell us about that, Paul. Yeah, again, great, great stuff. A lot of people come to faith, but the cities I go in, they actually don't like it when I'm there. So I've been thrown in prison a lot. <laughs> I, I get beat a lot. In fact, I've been, I've been flogged. Okay, well... But your, your walk with Jesus, Paul, talk to us about that. I mean, surely you're growing in your own personal faith in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, again, a lot of victory I can tell about. But here's the deal. There's still some things that I know I'm not supposed to do, and I do them. And then there's the things I I'm, know I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do those. And then I have this kind of thorn. I'm going to keep that very vague. I don't want you to know exactly what that means. I mean, do you get it? Do you get that you and I would never hire Paul to be a pastor at Lake Avenue Church? The narrative looks so different for Paul than what it's supposed to be. The narrative of what we think it's supposed to be to be a leader, to be a church, is so, been so positive to the point of not being realistic. Corinth and Pasadena have a lot in common. In a city not unlike Los Angeles, Corinth was a bustling, hip city with great commerce, growing economy, but yet a very dark, sinful side. In fact, we know from 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians specifically, the sexual sin of this city was incredible. 
Paul has a long relationship with the church in Corinth, and now he finds himself writing this letter to them because the talk was getting loud about Paul not really being that great at what he's supposed to be doing. The church itself very critical of getting the reports that, again, Paul's in prison again. Paul's not doing it right, and people were getting getting organized going, that's really not what a leader looks like, And, and he's writing to them now to kind of, one, defend himself, but to set the record straight more than himself about what life with Jesus really looks like. What is it really supposed to look like when Jesus is in the center of our life? Because if you know anything about Paul, his life and his ministry was full of conflict, it was full of consequences. And he lived at a time not like, unlike ours in a world that marked faithfulness by the absence of conflict, troubles, and suffering. Paul's life was the opposite. And we'll see this throughout this entire series, through this entire book, as Paul shares very openly and honestly about the troubles that come to him as a result of following Jesus. See, for Paul, the question isn't, Are troubles good, bad, here or there? For Paul, at the end of the day, troubles just are. We will see that today. We'll see that through the uh, the entire book. Paul is no victim to this reality. We'll look at that. He doesn't make a theology about his pain and puts a period at the end. There's troubles, period. He takes the reality of his troubles and he is essentially doing this. And this is what we're asking this entire series. What difference does Christ's love make in the midst of troubles? Remember the image from last week when Pastor Greg put up the, the blurry image with his, the books in the back and the mug being clear. This morning, what we want to do is focus in and try to get a clear picture of what is true. In the midst of a world with troubles, in the midst of lives filled with suffering and pain and troubles, what is it that is true when we focus in on the love of Jesus? And I will say this, that essentially what we are going to find out is that what Paul finds out is that when Jesus is in your life, and you have experienced the love of Jesus in your life, the false narratives of what it's supposed to be are replaced by the true narrative of what life is. We all have the false narratives, but Jesus comes into our life and he sets us straight with a true narrative. The words in the first chapter will help us see that the troubles in our lives, the troubles that come from living out our faith through the reality of Jesus. And when Jesus is in a person's life, there's some truth that comes. So this morning, from this text, there are four truths I want us to see. There's much more in this text than the four, but the truths about troubles. Truth number one, troubles are normal in life and to be expected. Remember verse three and four, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. Not, not, not some of us are going to experience trouble in life. Not one out of 50 or just the pastors are going to experience trouble. No, all of us will experience trouble. It's normal. It's to be expected. Paul, what kind of troubles are you talking about? Let's go to verse 8 and 9. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death. Paul is so candid about his struggles. 
Paul is so open and honest here, and he starts this conversation about troubles and struggles and weakness. He starts it in chapter 1, and it continues throughout the entire book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to come to see some more. What what troubles are we talking about? Paul, chapter 4, he says that they're hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Chapter 5, speaking about his physical body, outwardly we're wasting away, our bodies groan and are burdened. Chapter 6, in troubles, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, in sleepless nights, in hunger. And it goes on and on. Paul sharing that faithful living isn't void of troubles. It is normal and it's to be expected. In fact, I think Paul was incredibly aware of the words of Jesus when Jesus himself in John 16 says, I've told you these things so that, you, so that in me you may have peace. Because listen to Jesus, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Why am I camping out here? I want you to be assured of something. The point of this text, the point of this message, the point of the gospel is not to acknowledge that there's troubles in this world, period. But it's incredibly important to understand that troubles are normal because you and I live in a world where that story isn't shared enough. The narratives of what your life is supposed to look like, the narrative of what my life is supposed to look like, they rarely acknowledge the reality that troubles just are. And we need an example of what real living with Jesus looks like. We need Paul because he can be a model for us in this. Again, we need this model because the narratives and the the way we organize in this world is so counter to the fact of acknowledging that troubles are normal. I've been thinking all week about some extremes of how we, how, we, how we deal with or minimize or overplay the idea of troubles in this world. And one is that there is a perspective for some of us that I'm calling it the self-sufficiency narrative. The idea that with enough diligence and preparation that you can actually control and put up controls to avoid trouble from reaching you in this life. If we plan enough, think through every scenario, every risk, every reward, and make decisions perfectly, then we can get life to basically work out cleanly and avoid difficulty, or as much difficulty as possible. And while I would say there is nothing wrong with planning, there's nothing wrong with preparing, when our plans and our preparations somehow put us in the driver's seat of controlling life, we've made ourselves God. The other extreme from the self-sufficient narrative is the self-centered narrative, and it's this person. The idea that troubles define us in and by themselves, that we become victims to the troubles in our lives and spend our time basically thinking about ourselves, thinking about how unique we are, thinking about how difficult it is for us, assuming a whole lot about everybody else, about how they can't, they're just, for them, they would never understand. It's just so hard for me. So on one side, the self-sufficiency, this self-centered model, Paul becomes an example for us, not one of self-sufficiency. We will see that clearly. He even gives reference right away. Even when I was facing death, we, we, it allowed us to have faith in Jesus and God and to not rely on ourselves, but to rely on God. But he's also not self-centered. So while it's true that troubles are normal and to be expected, 
I'm sharing this as the first truth because it's a foundational truth that we're gonna build off. If we just stop it here, it's like an incomplete sentence or an unfinished thought. And when we stop it here that troubles are normal, and we don't look further to see what Paul is saying and what God is teaching and what is true about troubles, then we just stop and we try to control everything. We try to find the right blog, we try to find the right self-help book, we try to find the right thing to just kind of help us through that troubles are normal. There's more for the follower of Jesus than trouble. It's our normal. Our point this morning is not that troubles are normal, period, but they're normal, but, but it's what God does. It's what God does with them and how God uses them that is not normal. So the second truth is this. Troubles are evidence of following Jesus. Verse five. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, part B, so also our comfort abounds in Christ. And we're gonna get to that part B in a moment of verse five, but for a moment, see the connection with the sufferings of Christ. Paul is telling us that as followers of Jesus, we share abundantly in the sufferings of Jesus. He is shedding light on the truth that following Jesus is evidenced through knowing Christ fully and identifying with Christ fully. And as Christ suffered, we too connect with Christ and his love through our own times of trouble and suffering. Again, Paul, not an original thought. He, he was very aware of the teachings of Jesus. In Luke chapter nine, Jesus is with his disciples. It's the first time in Luke where he's told them what his life and death and resurrection are gonna look like. So he says to them, the son of man is gonna suffer many things. He's gonna be rejected by the chief priests and elders. He's gonna be killed, but on the third day be raised to life. Gives a a four-part job description of what the Messiah will be. Blew their minds. This was not what they expected. And it wasn't just all about Jesus sharing what his life's gonna look like, but then at the end of him declaring that, he says this verse that we know so well but we forget the first part of what he's saying. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Essentially, Jesus says this, my life's gonna look like this, suffering, rejection, death, ultimately resurrection, and if you wanna follow me, get ready for the same life. You're gonna be my disciple, take up your cross. That didn't mean go buy a cross at the jewelry store and put it on your neck. That meant get ready for your life to look like my life. Evidence of you being a disciple, are you taking up your cross daily? Are you following me? Is there moments of suffering and rejection? Are there moments of death? Here's the beautiful thing. Resurrection wins at the end. But suffering is a part of the story of Jesus, and it's evidence of us following Jesus. Suffering and troubles, brothers and sisters who follow Jesus, it's part of the gig. It's part of the life. Jesus tells us on the onset, on the onset, Paul is affirming it here. Suffering is evidence. I think it's hard to find that kind of evidence being celebrated, being talked about, being shared, at least not in real time. I think part of the problem for us is that we are living in a boasting culture. A boasting culture where, where everybody's got a platform, a website, an Instagram account that says, look at me. Listen to me. And we're drawn to follow people. We're drawn to the hero story. We're drawn with those with the platform. We're drawn to celebrity. And it's even crept into our understanding of what a church leader is or a pastor is. A whole lot of people saying, look at me. 
Listen to me. I this week, just as a practice, kind of said, who are the top names people are following in United States that have jobs like mine? And I Googled some of those names and it took me to their Instagram accounts. Nobody's boasting about their troubles. They're sharing how many people came to Christmas services. They're sharing about the great meal they had. They're sharing about the great perks for some, about following Jesus, the great hotels they stay at, the, the, the plane rides they're on. It's a boasting culture, and we boast about the happy stuff, the good stuff, and it adds to the, the wrong narrative of what life is supposed to be about. Paul is going to say later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if I must boast... I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul doesn't know you're going to get fired for that. (laughs) This is the stuff that gets people fired. It gets them to resign. The pressure in this life for you and for me to be perfect. To do it and say it right all the time and then to share about it. Share about all the good stuff. And there's a lie here. And the lie is this, that life somehow can be mastered that you can actually succeed in life without ever having a difficulty. And I gotta tell you, I don't buy it. Because for me, following Jesus, and I've been doing this a while now, it's humbling that I'm getting older. (laughs) Uh, Following Jesus for me hasn't been like an escalator ride up where it just kinda gets easier and better. It's more like a, as Mike Iaconelli talks, like a roller coaster. It's been a ride. And I wouldn't change anything about it, but there are times where I didn't see that coming. And then you come back up and, and you see how that made sense. That dip made sense for this moment, but then the next moment. That's real life. Evidence of following Jesus isn't that somehow life gets better and easier for you. Evidence of following Jesus is that your life looks like Jesus' life. Read about Jesus' life. It was wild. I love Mike Iaconelli, just referenced him. He has a book called Dangerous Wonder. He was kind of the grandfather of youth ministry, a prophetic voice at the time. There's a quote that I look at often because I think when I was 18, 19 years old, I heard him say this and read it in the book and it just shouted to me to feel true. And he says this, I want a lifetime of holy moments. Every day I want to be in dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. Now listen to this part. I long for a faith that is gloriously treacherous. I want to be with Jesus, not knowing whether to cry or to laugh. I think think Iaconelli captures what real faith with Jesus looks like. Never knowing. Evidence of following Jesus isn't by the safety in your life. Truth number three, troubles, so we got troubles, those are real, troubles are evidence of following Jesus. Truth number three, troubles can draw us into intimacy with God and empathy for one another. Now I want you to understand, can, can is the real word here. We can also allow troubles to draw us away from God and haven't we met plenty of people? And maybe you're that person right now. That the narrative you follow is that life is supposed to work out, and so when it doesn't work out, God can't be real, or this doesn't happen to good people, and and so when the trouble comes, we can move away from God. We can, when trouble comes, not move towards one another because it's hard to be open and honest, and so it can move us to isolation. 
But what Paul is teaching here in 2 Corinthians is that when troubles come into our life and we have been compelled by the love of Christ, that that time of trouble can be the very thing to grow in intimacy with God and in empathy towards one another. The word is comfort. You heard it so many times when I read. With Christ, our troubles draw us into intimacy with God. There have, some commentators say this is the paragraph of comfort in the New Testament. Now here's your fun Bible facts for the day. This concept of God being a God of comfort, especially in times of difficulty, is 31 times in the New Testament, 25 times Paul alone speaks about it. Now of those 25 times, 17 of them, we're getting tighter here, 17 are in 2 Corinthians, and of the 17 and 10, 2 Corinthians, 10 of them are in the text we've read today. So when we go back to verse 5 about, yes, it's true that sufferings of Christ are normal, but what pairs it, what's right next to it in this entire text, in this entire theme, 31 times in the New Testament, is that as true as troubles are, it is also true that the comfort of God is right there. That's intimacy. I don't know what your close relationships are or your marriage is like, But a real intimate relationship is one where the good and the bad live side by side. The trouble but the comfort come right side by side. And God is a God of comfort and he offers his comfort to us in the midst of the very reality of troubles in this world. And those are the things that can cause intimacy with God. Verse 9, after Paul says he felt like they received a death sentence, he goes on to say that this produced intimacy with God, that he was in such a dire place that he learned he could not rely on himself. Troubles can do that. If we allow them and we draw ourselves to God, that it's through those times where we realize we can't own this. We can't figure this out on our own. We need God. Troubles bring comfort. Intimacy continues in verse 11. When we hear about the prayers, the prayer life is impacted when there's times of troubles. Communication, relationship, that God becomes something more and more frequent and more intimate in our lives And the beautiful thing about God and his word and what we're looking at is he doesn't just offer his comfort to you and to me to get us through the hard time. He offers his comfort to you and to me to so experience the God of comfort that we actually become a comforting people. We don't just take, 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 take from God and get through it. We commune with the living God in such an intimate way that when we're through it, we become a different person and we're able to extend the comfort to others that God has comforted us with. And so we move from comfort to comforting. Verse four, you see this throughout the whole text. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. God offers this time and time again, gives this to us to be able to give to others. It's just who God is. It's just what it means to follow Jesus. Christianity is not about you, religion. It's about what God does and the change that we experience from intimacy with God that we fundamentally change and become different people so that we can be the comforting people in this world because why troubles are real for everyone. We receive from Jesus the God of comfort we receive and be able to comfort others. And the final truth is this, is that God will bring redemption through our troubles. He has del- and we're gonna see this throughout 2 Corinthians. 
He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He'll deliver us again on him. We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. One of the fundamental truths about following Jesus is that nothing is wasted. The troubles that you and I go through are not for nothing, but part of the larger story of redemption that God brings and is bringing into this world. We have a God who is about making redemption stories in our lives. We have a God who is writing a redemption story in us. I've been reflective of a little. I, I share so much of my redemption stories with you. But this week, the, the one I want to share is, I, I, you might know this, and I'm not scared of this, but did you know you have a pastor who flunked out of college at one point in their life? Yeah, it was at a time where I had this, there was a girl before Jenny, and she crushed me. And at that time, in the churches I was a part of, we didn't talk about things like depression. We didn't talk about things. And so I just flunked out of college, gained 50 pounds, and was in a deep, dark place. I was living at Forest Home at the time. There was a season where nobody knew I had flunked out of college. I would leave like I was going to class at Cal State San Bernardino, and I would just see every movie in the theater for a few hours. And then I had on my radio, this one is another story for another time, but one song on repeat, that's how bad it was. And it was a Chicago song, Hard Habit to Break. Google that. It's a dark, dark song. Okay, so that, that's like, that's me in, in a time of trouble, right? So where are we at 19 years later? The craziest thing happened. This Thursday, I was at Azusa Pacific University sitting down with the people who are a part of my class for a semester. And I don't say that to boast, I say that to share a story of redemption. Trust me, teaching a class at APU, that's not like the, the goal of my life. But I'm, I'm, I'm teaching at APU. I flunked out of college, I did end up going to college. In fact, that's how I got to Lake Avenue Church. John Wilson, pastor here, looked at me and said, you look terrible. <laughs> Move to Pasadena and start your life over. And I went, okay. Haven't left. See, God takes the troubles of our life, the difficulty of our life, and he works something beautiful. Who knew that God would take that season, dark, hard season of my life, and part of his redemption story he was telling in me was to bring me to Pasadena to work at Lake Avenue Church and to still be here, it's crazy. To go on and get my degree, a master's, and now I'm working on my doctorate, and now I'm teaching. It's crazy what God does. But through intimacy, through comfort, if I could go back and change all that, because at times I'm a little embarrassed that I flunked out of college, I wouldn't change any of it. Because I've seen what God does. He creates a redemption story in us. He creates redemption stories in us. And not just for us, but to share and to give away to others. Over 20-something years since that story, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had when I was a high school pastor with high school students and parents about academic struggles. I can't tell you how many times I share my story, my mental health story of depression. When people have broken up, engagements, marriages, dating, the heartbreak, when people feel like a failure in their life, God creates a redemption story in us so that we can be a comforting person for those going through their own troubles. And I would say that there's not a week that goes by in which the story of God's redemption story in me for a variety of ways doesn't show up 
and I pray comfort others. So for you this morning, the real simple application to this message is this. I encourage you to do something. I encourage you to think through what, what's the false narrative of what you're supposed to be. What's the script you're trying to follow and you know you'll never be it? And is it true? Read 2 Corinthians. Read someone we revere named the Apostle Paul. Look at his life. See how he explains the difference that Jesus makes in his life. And may it be true for you as well. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning, to be in this space, to hear from your word, to worship with our family, our friends, our guests. And God, my prayer is just very simple. Speak truth to us right now and this week. God, I pray that your spirit would let us know what is true, what life is supposed to be, what following you really looks like, And God, I pray for those who are in a time of trouble that they would find great comfort in you. For those who are not in a time of trouble right now but have been through one, I pray that you would remind each one of us that we don't just take from you, but we are transformed by you. And I pray for comfort to just flow all over the San Gabriel Valley, all of Los Angeles this week from the people of the church at Lake Avenue. We need your help to do this. We admit our weakness. We love the way you work redemption. So continue to work and speak. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Can we stand together and sing a verse?